Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From the construction zone at the back room of the Area 51 Silly String Reclamation Facility, it's once again clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 394, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with Extra Toast, I'm your host, the guy with the stuffed pita. I'm the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight... It's just me and and our taciturn technical trouble wrangler, Kriana, tonight. So you said Hi, stuffed pita, and I didn't know where you were going with that. I'm just leaving it right there. <laughs> you said stuffed, and then and then what came out next was not what I was expecting somehow. I Well, you're welcome. You're, you're very welcome for that. Way to uh, make it awkward. Hey, it, it, that's my job. That's what I do. Uh <laughs> Zombrarian cannot be with us tonight. She had a ukulele accident at work earlier today, and uh, Java was uh, is is currently caught in a three card Monty tournament and and cannot join us as well. We will be joined within a very few moments uh, uh, with uh, Jeff Deck, ghostwriter or ghost author or whichever. Um, Jeff. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. I forget who it was. Was it? Was it? Uh, who? Who was it that said I should have you on the show? It was Mr. Dale T. Phillips. Dale, of course. Yeah, D- Dale. Dale. Like once a month, sends me a list of. I saw this guy. You should talk to him. So. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, and, and he's usually he sounds right on the just like that. He really does, too. Well, we've had him on the show a number of times. You know he sounds just like that. And and he's usually pretty much spot on. So uh, we, we, we sent for the review copy of your new book, uh, The Shadow Over Portsmouth, City of Ports, book one. And uh, let me just sum it up by saying, wow, nice job, man. That's a really fun read. Thanks so much. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm, uh, you know, uh, a little spurt of honesty here. I'm at page 154, 155, somewhere in there. And uh, I have been having so much fun with it. So much fun with it. Um, Talk a little bit about... uh, the genre you purport for this to be in, because there's a little bit of everything in here. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like that you use the word purport there because uh, I <laughs> I feel like well I feel like the labels sometimes are just like a, a, a marketing thing and they're uh, labels. You know. That's all they are. <laughs> anymore. 
Um, but mainly I've been talking about City of Ports as an urban fantasy and mystery story. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, got some real world aspects and it's got some supernatural stuff that kind of creeps in, uh, as the story goes along. And it, it, I want to say it takes its time with the supernatural aspects, but when you get to where it becomes a really overt concept, you realize that it's been kind of poking you in the back of the neck since the very beginning of the book. Yeah, you know, I, I have, I guess I, I, I end up doing like the slow burn, like a, a, a lot with my stories. And uh, uh, I don't know whether it's just that I just like to have, um, have the, the setting really ground people first and then shake them up or, or what, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always something that seems to come from the background forward. So, so talk to me a little bit about, um, this the setting of the book, and I, I'm guessing the setting for this series of books, which is Portsmouth, New Hampshire. What an interesting choice! Why? So, so Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, it's it's a city that I've lived either in or near for the past several years now. Uh, right now, I live in South Berwick, which is about uh, eh, you know less than half an hour away. And, just over uh, the line up in Maine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, right, right on the on the border there. Um, but what always kind of struck me about Portsmouth was its atmosphere. It was the kind of city that uh, you could walk around, uh, particularly at nighttime, and uh, imagine that around the next corner there might actually be this like mysterious gateway that would take you to another place. Um, you know, maybe it's just you know being by the water and having all the um, you know, very old architecture, or at least old for the U.S. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, we're we're still just babies compared to Europe. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, it it just always seemed like a a, a city that was a, a crossroads of of something. And me being who I am, um, that something ended up being uh, different worlds and universes. And and you've taken and thrown thrown a real bunch of divergent characters into the into the mix, literally within the first two pages. And the main character, and I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying this, uh, the main character is Divya Allard, which in itself is just a cacophonous name because from from a a background standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. Divya and Allard don't go together, and you play off that very nicely until it's finally explained. But talk a little bit about Divya, the character. Yeah, and it, and even the name, as you point out, like it's it's almost got this kind of it makes you trip over it with the with that you know going from A to A, like uh, you know the end of her first name and the beginning of her last right. name makes you makes yeah. you stutter a little bit. <laughs> Uh, and so she's she's someone who's who's always kind of felt, you know, like maybe trapped between worlds and like she hasn't quite fit in one or the other. She's, uh, you know, she's she's grown up in the U.S. You know, she was, uh, um, you know, she was born in India and, and adopted by, you know, uh, by parents in 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 New Hampshire. Um, but she's a uh, 
she's a, a a cop in in Portsmouth who ends up finding the the body of her uh, fiance on on duty. Um, uh, her fiance is, is Hannah, and you know, so I mean, her, um, you know, her her sexual preference, you know, is another thing that kind of sets her uh, apart too. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, she uh, she ends up, um, you know, and this. This all happens very early on, so not really spoilers. But uh, I was going to say we're, yeah. we're not past the first five pages. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> she ends up losing a lot, uh, including her job, in in pursuit of of the truth of what happened to Hannah, and ends up feeling that she's on her own. Uh, you know, not just in terms of the investigation, but uh, from a mental standpoint. You know, she has anger issues. Um, she ends up. Uh, having to see a uh, you know a, a therapist and uh, you know oh, she is, seems to actually like <laughs> yeah it's yeah one of the you few know. people she actually likes <laughs> and, and I found that one of the more interesting dichotomies in the book here's a woman who because of her anger issues and because of a, a horrible deal that she has been forced to live through and, and deal with you know just hates the world except for her shrink and that would be the opposite, but it isn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, her, her shrink and, uh, and a couple of random losers around town, you know, uh, well, yeah, that's true. That <laughs> she, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of been on, on a journey to piece her life back together, you know, for, uh, for a period of, of months and months when, um, this, uh, this new case of a body being found on, uh, Pierce Island uh, in Portsmouth uh, comes to her attention with an anonymous phone call that she gets. And that kind of threatens to disrupt this peace that she's made with herself after Hannah died. And after, you know, finally convincing herself to give up the investigation, she realizes that there might be a connection with this new case to, to Hannah's death. And so all these old wounds are opened up all over again. One of the tools that you use really nicely in in telling this story is kind of an internal dialogue with the dead. Uh, um, Divya talks to Hannah a lot in in these kind of of desperate monologues uh, that are fueled by by anger or, or by her inability to understand circumstance or just just the emptiness she feels inside after losing her. Uh, what, what a great tool that is, number one. And how did you come up with that? Yeah, you know, it, it was something I felt kind of nervous about initially as a, as a tool because I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't really remember reading any stories that had you know used the uh, the the second person you know in in the story like in it's a, a very narrative. different way yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with you there but it's it's very visceral it 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 forces the reader to become personally involved almost and become the third person in this discussion as she's having it with her dead fiance and it, i found it incredibly disconcerting but uh it kept drawing me in more and more i i loved it Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I think it was kind of an evolution of something from my uh, previous book, The Pseudo Chronicles of Mark Huntley, which 
was also a first person story. Um, but the you that the person was talking to in that story was um, the reader of uh, the main character's blog, because that was in the form of the whole book takes place in the form of a blog that the main character is keeping. And so there was this kind of I and you intimacy that was established in that, that I, I liked and then kind of wanted to use in a, in a different way in this, uh, you know, in this new series, um, because it's, you know, it's, it, it is kind of a shortcut to really drawing the, the reader in and, and making them feel maybe sometimes even uncomfortably close to, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> to the action of the story. But it, it's so well done because the emotions and here's the worst part. As far as the listeners are concerned, we're talking about a murder mystery right now. And I've got to tell you by page 20, we're someplace else. And it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful turn of events and, and I'll get there in a minute, but it's a wonderful way to force the reader to, to, to come to terms with the kind of raw emotion that you you've put into this character into divya's character um where did this character come from by the way you know she started out as as almost uh a parody of like mystery sleuths um is uh, like years ago i had a friend who was shooting videos around portsmouth this is when i was living in portsmouth and um you know he wanted some help coming up with some new content. And I had the idea for this like detective to be like solving cases around Portsmouth. And, you know, it, as with, as with some other things I've done, something that started out and meant to be like kind of a caricature, then kind of grew on its own and became its own thing and its own story. And, uh, you know, grew all these dimensions and it helped that the video thing never worked out. <laughs> so then, <laughs> so then I had the character to play with on my own. Uh, and, um, you know, how, do, I, how long did that character hang around before you found a home for her in city of ports? Uh, you know, it was, it was at least a few years, you know, maybe, maybe two or three years. Uh, and then, and then it took a couple of years to really, um, start to get the picture right in my head of what this, this series is going to look like. Um, because, uh, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but this, this is going to be the shadow reports myth is going to be a 10 book series. Uh, this so, is exactly my next question. Yeah. <laughs> the feeling I have that, a plan. that's great because the feeling that you get, in the first 153, 54, 55 pages, is that we're barely scratching the surface. And you've, at that point, thrown in uh, a, conspirac a conspiracy of uh, college students, the FBI, the CIA, a paranormal research group, the local police who want nothing to do with any of this, but are somehow more involved than they want to let on. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, this is not one book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really love stories that have, um, different, different factions in them kind of, you know, uh, sometimes aligning with each other, sometimes, uh, opposing each other, depending on what kind of goals, uh, they're pursuing. And, uh, 
you know, and none of them are are necessarily right or wrong all the time. Uh, but I, I pictured having a few different factions that uh, that uh, that Allard is kind of caught among uh, in this series, and um, you know, various uh, people in in the different factions might be trying to kind of use her from from time to time, and she's got to decide for herself what's you know what's what's right and what's wrong in each situation. Can, can I just say that I hope because I've seen <clears throat> maybe two or three sentences referring to her parents, and I'm hoping that we're going to see more of that. Uh, I don't know if we are or not because I haven't gotten that far in the book yet. But <laughs> my question is because that was not a question. There was nothing questionable there at all. Um, <laughs> You've been writing for a while, uh, and what what is your what was your process in putting this together? You've you've planned out a ten book series, and it took you two or three years to find this character and bring this character from where she was when you first thought of using her in something else to putting her into this story. So, what is your process for putting this together? How do you do it? Uh, so first I kind of had to figure out like a lot of the, the background, like mythos stuff almost, because there's, you know, I mean, I, I've already said that, you know, the, the city in this story is, is kind of a, a crossroads of, of different right. worlds. And so there's, there's kind of a, a larger, um, you know, mythology and a larger struggle that's going on, uh, behind the scenes. And so, I, I needed to figure that stuff out first and um, come up with some cool names <laughs> first because not know, bad too, if, by the way. If, yeah. If, if things have cool names, then like it, it makes it easier for me to believe in them as, as their author. So uh, uh, I had to name some things that are still behind the scenes uh, in the story. But uh, um, then I, I wanted to, when I had the idea of, you know, having this being a series like, you know, in Portsmouth that, uh, I, I wanted it to, um, take some inspiration from maybe some real life things that have happened in Portsmouth, but to have each one just kind of be like a, a funhouse mirror version of it. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of weird stuff that's been happening in Portsmouth over the years or centuries. And, um, so, you know, in the, in the initial planning stages, I just had this whole like long list of, um, you know, notable stuff that had happened in, in Portsmouth, um, that, you know, some of it was from recent years from, uh, from when I, uh, you know, spent a little while working on the, uh, uh, newspaper. Uh, I was working for the Seacoast media group, which does the, uh, the local paper, the Portsmouth Herald and a bunch mm -hmm. of other papers like in that area. Um, and, you know, doing copy editing and pagination work for them. And so, um, you know, like in the daily news environment, you get, you know, very immersed, maybe even more so than you want to in all the little dramas that are happening, you know, every day in the, in the city. And, uh, when something really big happens, then it becomes like the news the whole week. And so you're seeing that like five or six times and you're like, wow, you know, uh, so in the, so in the first book, the, um, there's, you know, the, the body found at Pierce Island is kind of a, uh, Funhouse, you know, inversion of, um, you know, a, a student who was like murdered and dumped on Pierce Island in real life. But, 
you know, the gender is different and everything about the circumstances is different. Um, in the next book, it's going to do kind of a funhouse version of this weird thing that happened in, in Portsmouth a few years ago where there was a, uh, a cop who got really involved with um, an elderly uh, widow who uh, was maybe not of sound mind and she ended up leaving like her whole estate to the guy and uh, you know so it's like oh, okay <laughs> so you know all these things are kind of interesting surface ideas to then kind of twist around to uh, to the purposes of, of the story and, and uh, you know the kind of larger mythos that I'm going to be tying things into so I said and I was going to be quiet but uh-huh. don't you didn't let me. Okay. <laughs> I need to make a correction for you. What There's did I do? no goddamn reason on this green earth that Divya and Allard should not go together or sound weird together. You're you're 100 was... incorrect. <laughs> no, that... no, 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 Jeff, if you don't mind me asking, your character is a woman of color, an adopted woman of color, mm-hmm. and a homosexual, and a cop, which none of these things you are. How was <laughs> writing this? Was it exactly. more difficult? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's some of it was a little bit of a stretch. Like, I, I really, I guess... An important thing for me, like personally, is is to have more diverse characters and in, uh, in books, like more so than we've than we've seen to this, you know, to this point in time, like particularly for for main characters, you know, for like for heroes, for you know, kick-ass protagonists who were. I really wish you know, the wife uh, was here right now because she would like <laughs> to hear that. No, I I mean I I gotta say personally, I know that uh, so she has a friend who is an educator in that sort of space and she's herself a teen librarian and her friend asked her for a list of young adult fiction with a trans protagonist that wasn't focused around the characters like sexual identification and mm-hmm. um the list was pretty short to non-existent i mean she's she's yelling five books at me from the other room <laughs> and some of them were kind of questionable if i remember correctly because they did st- yeah yeah, because they did sort of revolve around it because it's just not done. And so, like, that sort of an issue as far as representation in fiction is sort of something that she deals with on a day-to-day basis as far as, you know, kids looking for good role models of people like them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I know somebody, you know, another author who is, who is recently... Uh, discouraged by their agent to, you know, have uh, the main character in their story be like of a different race than than the author was, uh, and like be- because they were just so afraid of like blowback. Like, uh, I guess there's a lot of that going on in like the the YA fiction world right now. Um, but it it was something where, you know, the author had even like you know, hired somebody for a sensitivity read had done, you know, they'd done their homework to portray this character accurately. But then, you know, the agent was like, well, you know, you, you know, was insisting on like, you know, whitewashing this character to actually like make the, yeah. the book deal happen. And I don't know. I, you know, I, I just think it's, I just think it's unfortunate, you know, and 
I mean, with, with me, you know, in indie publishing, you know, of course, like, I can just be on my high horse. I can do whatever the hell I want, you know. <laughs> and there's, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have to, you know, to answer to like a publishing house or or you know an agent. But um, I just, I, I would like to see a little more, uh, you know, courage demonstrated by authors to, you know, step outside their comfort zone. You know, the the, you know, the identity that they have and just educate themselves. You know, of course, to uh, avoid you know stereotypes, but um, just to connect sure, with yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, actively encouraging them to change the race of their main character is fucking awful. But yeah, I yeah. Mean, I, we don't I'm we don't censor like, our language on the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably should have warned you about that. Now. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I, I was trying to think uh, of a better way to phrase it, and then I was like, "No, that's that's pretty fucking awful, actually." Because <laughs> there there are there are people like we you want that as a consumer, you want you know to be represented and to be able to find books about people who look like you or have the same problems that you have or the same perspective. Who you can identify with, and, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's almost I don't want to say better for people of different. Not the same, like, okay, I guess it would be really hard to be adopted and Indian and gay and in New Hampshire. Um, <laughs> there there yeah. aren't, like, New Hampshire is very white. I, I grew up there. I, I, unless it's changed, which would be great, honestly. Yeah, but, not, not really. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> <laughs> eh, what are you going to do? But um, I, I think it actually might give more people, like, if they try to put themselves in the t- perspective of what does this person have to deal with because of these characteristics that maybe I don't think about. It might make the world a better place. Yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like if you can, you know, if you as the author can find some kind of, like, trait, you know, in, in the character to connect with, then it'll, you know, it'll it'll feel, you know, as long as you're you're getting... You know, as long as you're not engaging in stereotyping or, you know, uh, as long as you're making this person a fully fleshed out character, like, you know, if there is some kind of personality trait that that you feel like you can kind of share and relate to with the character, then it'll it'll come across as authentic. Um, You know, for for me, like, you know, I've I've had some anger issues in the past. And so, like, that was kind of my connection with with Allard and, uh, you know. Um, I could kind of, you know, it's it's very different life circumstances, but, you know, I, I know what it's like to, like, you know, like, break your cell phone or, you know, throw a printer across the room. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, yeah. There's, I mean. one, there's a one point in the book where she catalogs all the things that she's broken. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and, and most of those things are, are taken from, from real life experience. <laughs> Man, I mean, and I wish I could say I can't believe that a publisher would ask an author to change their character, but I, I honestly 100% believe, and I wish that were not the case. It's, it's a very conservative industry, you know? I oh, mean, they're... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. Great answer. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate oh, you I'm asking Sorry, Dom. Back to your questions. Go ahead. <laughs> You're fine, hon. You're fine. You know... It's rare enough that we hear from you, and you know I love having you on. And, I, I, and, and, I had yeah. a question. I asked it. Yeah, you too. It was great. Thank you. You're welcome. 
So we're we're in book one of what you're hoping will be a ten book arc of story. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's your plan right now. And book one has been out for a couple of weeks now. How far along is book two? Uh, book two is is actually in the editing phase. Um, the uh, uh, the very first draft of it I did for last year's uh, NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month, mm-hmm. um, which which I which I do every year, um, and you know it's uh, it's it started out as pretty much crap as you know <laughs> as 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 every <laughs> NaNoWriMo project starts out, you know. But that's the the point is to get the words you know get the words out there and then fix them and uh, so you know I'm. I'm hoping to uh, be able to release the next book uh, by uh, the holidays, so Christmas time. Let's talk a little bit about your your writing process itself. Sure. Yeah. Um, it involves a lot of caffeine. <laughs> that was me getting the cough button. I apologize. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, you were probably going to going to lead and with since something we there. Don't edit. That will all be kept in, which is the. <laughs> Um, a lot of times, um, I, I was at a convention this, this past week and I was at GraniteCon in Manchester, New Hampshire, and, um, a new writer came up to the table we were at and, um, she's, she's just getting started in science fiction. She's done a bunch of uh, young adult mystery novels and <clears throat> she said, I, I, I listen to your podcast a lot. And I, and I said, no, you don't. And. She went, no, no, seriously, I do. But I, I listen when you have writers on because the really interesting thing for me is not so much what they write as how they write. And I tend to ask this question of almost every writer uh, who's on the show at one point or another, except for Harlan Ellison, who I would never dare ask that of. Um, <laughs> and it is, what is it like? Do, do you write every day? Do you have a specific time of day do you have a routine that you go through what what is what does it take for you to get writing done during a day uh i i do try to write every day um i'm part of a uh, a shared uh word count tracker with some other uh writers through like the uh, a group called the new england speculative writers um so I, I i feel like it really helps to have mutual uh, accountability and you know just at least be able to see other people's words or lack thereof, and then be either you know envious or inspired or you know gloating when you when you see them. Uh, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> whatever it, it takes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it can be a lonely process, and so uh, having some kind of reminder that you know there are other people grinding away at it. Uh, I I think you know at, at the very least helps me keep grinding away at it too, uh, and and so keeping a record. And seeing how many words I'm writing each day uh, helps to helps me to at least try to keep the the, the ship on course. Um, I uh, I do uh, a lot of um, freelance writing and editing. Um, my my day job uh, when they're actually giving me hours is the is is the same type of thing. So you know, so I work from home, so I I can basically start the day by working on you know my my fiction writing, which is usually the ideal way for for me to do it i find that if i don't get in at least some words in the 
uh, in the morning, then it's it's hard to uh, to get them done later on. Like if I'm just starting in the in the evening, let's say, it's probably not going to happen. Um, and I, I there's a there's a coffee shop that I keep going to uh, in the next town over that uh, I feel like has really kind of primed my brain, you know, to just like respond like you know if i'm at adele's coffee shop and i'm i've got a you know <laughs> mocha in front of me then i'll be writing you know because uh, it's i don't know it can be hard to get writing done at, at home sometimes when you're surrounded if that's by what it. it takes you know you've, it takes it takes a rare combination of mindset attitude uh environment and it all has to be right in order for it to work for some people i get that that's not to mention thing. all the people who think that because you work from home, you don't actually work, so you can do whatever. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Says so someone who works from home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not playing video games all day long. I'm, I'm actually writing for some of the time. Definitely not doing that either. <laughs> definitely <laughs> never happen. Definitely not. So part of part of your your other work is as a ghost writer or ghost author. Um. I don't think I've ever met a ghost author before, and I only know of one other one, and it is a fairly well-known one by the name of Ron Goulart, who, who was a science fiction and fantasy writer in the uh, 70s and 80s and 90s, and oh, okay. goes through the, the William Shatner tech series. Is he alive? We should totally try to get him. I, I've tried. Yeah, he's still alive, and I, and he's also written a, a, a number of uh, uh, Groucho Marx mysteries, which were Wait, absolutely. How did you freak- try? Did you name drop? I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, did you name drop when you were trying? <laughs> no, I did not name drop. Yeah. There's your problem. Mm. Can, can we back up a step? So, so William William Shatner didn't actually. Write those books then? That's, he absolutely that's such a disappointment. Did not. I know. <laughs> I know. You almost sounded I, like I was, you believed I, he was I, capable of writing for a second. I appreciate that. I was a huge fan of, of Ron's uh, science fiction, and I, at one point, literally owned very, very, very badly worn paperbacks of every single book uh, that he'd ever put out. And then the tech series came out, and I went, my God, this is the most familiar writing I've ever heard in my life. It's Ron. <laughs> and it was. Uh, and it was absolutely hilarious. But uh, so how did you get started as, as a ghost author? So ghost writing is, is kind of a close cousin to, to editing work uh, where, you know, if you're into really like in-depth editing you know uh, of of someone's work and you're basically rewriting sentence after sentence like you're you're already halfway to ghostwriting at that point <laughs> so it's uh it's really kind of the next next step from you know from from book editing and uh so i you know took a uh i took a course um about about a year and a half ago uh to kind of learn more about it and uh um, and then, you know, hung out my shingle and, uh, you know, I've, it, I've had a, you know, mix of, of, of different, you know, clients and some of them are, are editing. So, you know, it's, uh, I guess I, I can't really talk much about specific clients, but, uh, um, oh, yeah, of course, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, otherwise you would be an actual co-author as opposed to a ghost author. 
Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, um, you can you can really follow like a a similar process uh, to the process that um, that you follow when when helping someone really do like a uh, an overhaul edit of of a book that you know comes to you as as kind of a mess, you know, because you're you know you're you're starting out with kind of the the thirty thousand foot vision of the book and finding out what what the author wants wants that to be uh and you know the only real difference is that if you're editing the book you know then there there's a mess of a manuscript that already exists and if it's ghostwriting then the manuscript just simply does not exist at all yet (laughs) but you know in both cases the author is going to be the one driving that overall vision and then you know, once you're aligned on that, then it's a question of, all right, you know, what's 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 the structure going to be to serve this this vision, uh, you know, which you know is is something that works for either nonfiction or or fiction. You know, like on either side, you've got this you know logical order that you need to 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 follow um, in order to to make whatever that kind of one sentence um, you know vision statement of the book uh, you know in order to make that happen and make it reality. How closely do you have to be aligned to the author's internal intent? I mean, can, can you pull yourself away from it and work that way? Or do you really need to understand exactly what the author's mindset is exactly what his, what his intent is throughout the book in order to work as, as, as a good, as an effective ghostwriter? Uh, well, you know, you end up doing a lot of back and forth, uh, you know, and so you can work on something for a while and then shoot it back the author's way. And if it's not in line with their, you know, their their heart's vision, then they're going to let you know right away. <laughs> you know, so it's it's, you know, it like a lot of other things, it's uh, it just involves a lot of uh, a lot of collaboration and a lot of, you know, I've written this. How does this land on you? And uh, you know, just just takes regular check-ins and phone calls and interviews, and uh, um, kind of unfolds from there. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able, I think, to to hang out that shingle unless you had not only an empathy for the work that you do, but an empathy as an editor for the work that comes to you, so that you can work with the author to really make that vision happen and that that's a rarefied talent that's not something a lot of people can do uh kudos for that that's that's amazing we have been talking with jeff deck ghost author and author of city of ports shadow of portsmouth book one the line i want to leave you with is a line from the book if this kid's a murderer then I'm the Yokin's Blue Whale. And if you live in Portsmouth or have been there, that's the funniest line ever. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Oh, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Audible, 
I'm not sure where else to possibly find The injury was provided by Rob Watts. Laura Their stuff found on lawrence.com. Hey, thank you to everybody who's here tonight, which is Priyanka. Uh, thank you so much. This is Joe Satan, Terry and Jimmy. Shared papers, listen to the shared papers. Thus, y'all reviewed I know.